Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Allison's Wonderland, the show that takes you inside the world of animation and video games. And wow, six months after moving to Los Angeles, Maggie Robertson was cast in Resident Evil, Lady Demitrask, one of the most amazing video game franchises of all time and such an iconic role. And we're here with her today on Allison's Wonderland. Thanks for tuning in. Hi. Maggie. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. I'm so glad we were finally able to make this happen. I know. It had been in the works for quite some time, but here we are. You are. Welcome to Wonderland. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We have a lot of mutual friends, but this is actually the first time we've ever met in person. Yes. Yes. Which is pretty incredible. It's such a small community as well, so it's kind of amazing that we lasted this long without running into each other. Yeah. Well, and you moved here in 2019. I did. So just uh, a little bit of time before we had the global pandemic, which Mm -hmm. shut everything down. Mm -hmm. Um, How was that transition for you? From... Moving to LA or moving into a global pandemic? I guess (laughs) many transitions have occurred. (laughs) Uh, The LA transition, quite honestly, could not have been better. I feel very lucky. And it was one of those moments where the first second I got to LA, there there was just this sense of flow mm-hmm. as I started to figure out where I'm, where am I going to live? Who are my friends going to be? How am I going to get work? All of these things that usually take long, hard struggles to figure out yeah. fell into place rather seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So right from the get-go, I was kind of feeling like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be here right now because things are falling into place mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't expecting. So then when I booked Resident Evil, it was just one other thing where I was like, whoa, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in this moment in my life. And yeah, yeah. so it was it was kind of bananas how seamless that transition was. I was certainly not expecting it to be that. And usually when people move to a new city, they say the first year is bananas crazy hard. But I got really lucky. I found a great place to live walked into a couple of established communities and friend groups so I wasn't lonely and Mm. then booked some pretty great jobs right away so it all worked out. Now you moved here from London is that correct? Where you were getting your master's? Yes I was doing my master's degree in classical acting so lots and lots of Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and then graduated end of 2018 and pretty much moved to LA right after that. I had like a month at home to collect myself and then I was out the door again. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh-huh. yeah. What was your time like uh, in London? In London? Magical, amazing, wonderful. It was the first time I had ever gotten an opportunity to just study acting full time without wow. other distractions or other courses that I was taking mm-hmm. like in college. Yeah. Which is, I realized, a privilege. It's so rare that we get an opportunity to do that. Usually we're pulled in 20 different directions and are just trying to survive and get through. So the opportunity to just sit down and just focus on craft, just focus on getting myself to be a better actor was really lovely. And 
I feel very grateful for that too. I have a lot to be very grateful for. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Yeah. And probably one of the best, I think. Yeah. What made you decide to go get back to school for your master's? I, it's so funny. I feel like acting was in many ways the last part of the arts that I decided to do, or I kind of railed against it for a long time where I didn't want to be an actor <laughs> for whatever reason. So then I think as a result of that, I always felt behind and like I, I had to catch up to where other people were. And after college, even though I graduated with a degree in theater, I went back home. I was still deciding if acting was the thing that I wanted to do. And I wasn't sure. Virginia. Virginia, okay. Well, moved around, but Virginia-ish. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was still very much figuring out if acting was even the thing that I wanted to do. There were parts of it that I really liked, mm -hmm. and then there were parts of it that I didn't really like. Like um, what? I was not a fan, and am still not a fan of competitiveness. Mm -hmm. I feel that there's always more than enough to go around, mm -hmm. and especially within the theater community, there can be that kind of scarcity mindset. And I feel this with on camera sometimes too, that there is this scarcity mindset around knowledge, resources, and jobs. Mm -hmm. And the level of competition that happens behind the scenes, I didn't really feel like engaging with. Yeah. So it was really more of the social component, as weird as that is to mm -hmm. say, that was what prevented me or what held me back from committing to acting as a full-time profession. I loved the work mm -hmm. itself. I loved working on shows and I loved the craft component of it, but it was the kind of outer trappings that were always the mm. thing that I was like, mm, I don't know if that feels good. I don't know if I want to do that full-time. Yeah. Especially Hollywood. Especially Hollywood. Towns. Yeah. But that's why when I moved to LA and I got kind of thrown into the world of voiceover and motion capture, yeah. I feel that this community is so not characterized by any of that. Yeah. There is such a wonderful, welcoming atmosphere where people, everyone I meet is like, oh, you're new? Here's all of this. What can I do to help you? How can I work with you on something? Or what can I point you to? Or listen to your demos, whatever. So I immediately found like, felt like I found my community within voiceover and within performance capture, mm -hmm. which was really nice. But yes, yeah, so after college, I moved back to Virginia, moved in with my mom, and got real person jobs doing uh -huh. XYZ admin or whatever, and then realized I kind of didn't do any theater and realized that I was still miserable not doing acting. Mm -hmm. So then I started to try to dip my toe back into the regional theater scene within DC, mm -hmm. which is actually a thriving theater community. It's really amazing. But again, I just felt like there was something holding me back from getting the roles that I wanted or achieving the, the level of success that I felt I was capable mm -hmm. of. And I think because I'd always have one foot in and one foot out the door of acting, I felt like I needed to go back to grad school to just do acting mm -hmm. and really make the conscious choice to do this mm -hmm. and only this, that this was the thing I was going to stake my <laughs> future on yeah. and say unequivocally, this is what I'm going to do. So that's kind of the purpose that grad school filled for me. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing privilege. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So at that point, did you feel that you'd had more maturity under your belt? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I felt was helpful in grad school. I think a lot of people go right into more school after they get done with school. And I found it very helpful to have life experiences under my belt to go into that experience with and come out with the knowledge that 
yeah, I'm deserving and I'm capable and I'm talented and I deserve to be in the rooms. And even if I'm not getting in them right away, I deserve to be here. Just because I don't book doesn't mean I'm not talented or X, Y, Z, all of the other stories that we tell ourselves in this industry. So I felt like that helped me for sure, Mm -hmm. kind of brave the hardships of the industry and hearing Mm -hmm. no's all the time. Right. And that is such a big part of Mm -hmm. what we do. It's I don't know that you can really describe that to anybody because it seems like, well, it's not it's not rejection. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not not hearing back from a project doesn't mean somebody called you up and said, you suck. We don't want you for that. <laughs> that maybe that's rejection, but that doesn't happen. So, yeah. So but yet uh, not uh, being selected for something that you feel you've you almost have to in acting you put yourself into the role and you become that character for a certain period of time at least for the audition Mm -hmm. and then uh if you don't get it you can sometimes be left with an empty feeling of wondering why wondering why and it's not just that you don't get it it's that you hear nothing Mm -hmm. i think that's the hardest part is you don't know if it was good if Mm -hmm. it was bad if they liked it if they hated it uh so that's when your brain can go crazy and create all of these false narratives about what did or did not actually occur. Mm-hmm. And that's the dangerous part, I think. So uh, what was it like, the audition process for Lady D? <laughs> <laughs> well, in typical video game fashion, as I'm sure you know, I well, I had moved to Los Angeles. I didn't have an agent. So I was just submitting myself to casting breakdowns that I saw on the various casting websites oh, so that it was you like could find. Open. It was an open uh-huh. call. I think it was on something like LA Casting mm-hmm. or something like that. And I there were no there was no information about what the game actually was. It was just video game. Yeah. XY, wow. here's a the fake character name. Here's a fake breakdown of uh-huh. what the plot is. And I it was just listed as voiceover, not performance capture, which I wouldn't have even known what that was if yeah. it had been listed. Uh-huh. So had no idea what I was applying for. Uh-huh. Sent in the application to audition, got the audition, and then I went in. And this should have been my first clue because it was advertised as voiceover, but they had me come in and do an in-person audition. So it felt very akin to theater, actually. Mm-hmm. But I was so new and naive. I was just like, okay, this is what they do. Okay. And were you in a studio or was it in a different type of space? It was Recording in studio. a room in the back of a restaurant. Oh, <laughs> it was so just so <laughs> hilarious. <of> <laughs> and they had great food. What would but... Lady D say about the food? Uh, divine (laughs) I don't know Um, but yes so all of it was just me it kind of was confirming me being like okay so this is just like I'm just doing this to see if I like voiceover Mm -hmm. I have no expectations on the outcome I'm just dipping my toe in the water and see how I feel about it but the audition itself felt very akin to theater and felt very theatrical they Mm -hmm. wanted unlike on camera auditions where you are having to operate within a set confined space Mm -hmm. within frame they had the camera set far away and they were like great you have the whole space to play with feel free to improv feel free to move around so all of that especially coming right out of my training program i was like oh cool (laughs) playtime let's go and so felt that that went really well and Mm -hmm. then i I don't know, like a month or weeks later, got a callback and it was similar stuff, very theatrical. This one had more of an improv component to it mm-hmm. where they had me 
move around more as what the character would be like or improv scenes or moments how she uses her uh, I think I didn't have the full specs of what she was so anyway but so improv component and her movement profile her physicality had me kind of exploring those things with the director in the room and then after that I think I didn't hear back for a good long while to the point where I was like, I forgot all about this. And then they called me and offered me the role. And I was like, oh, cool. That's nice. <laughs> Guess I'll do this. This video game. Yes, this video game, whatever that means. And uh, then I got into the, uh, we had a table read. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I clued in to the fact that something much larger is actually happening here because everyone in the room, there was just this, palpable energy in the air everyone was excited and like whispering to each other some people I guess had figured out what game this was and I overheard someone say being a part of this franchise is a dream come true or something like that the word dream come true Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was in there and I was like hold on uh what what do you mean what's going on (laughs) this is just a nothing video game that I thought I was auditioning for and it turned out to be Resident Evil Village and yeah so then I went home after the table read once I had my sides and my contract and I googled all the names that I could find in there and figured out what game it was and yeah and then I was like okay okay (laughs) did that booked that Mm -hmm. that feels good (laughs) amazing sounds like just perfect alignment yes exactly so going back to that state of flow I just fell into these Mm -hmm. things that then lined up so perfectly and moved me forward in the way that I wanted to be so hey guys this is Allison Packard sorry to interrupt but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show please 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 remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes it really helps us to get heard by more people thanks so much and you know you well you won the game award and the golden joystick award for best performance how did that change your life all of the uh, aftershock waves of lady D have changed my life. There's absolutely no aspect of my life that has remained the same, it feels like, which is kind of amazing to have a role that is so transformative. So winning those awards, especially once you've heard about how I got the dang audition, (laughs) it's to go from moving to LA with nothing to now this, a a role who has that has built a career for me Mm -hmm. and giving me notoriety and giving me a platform it's totally mind-boggling. Mm. I, I still cannot believe it sometimes that this wow. happened. Were they specifically looking for non-voice actors? Is that why? I think they were looking for height. And so for me, that was the exciting thing when I saw the breakdown because so often my height is the thing that excludes me from roles, the mm-hmm. thing that prevents me from booking something. So to have an opportunity where my height could be the thing that actually books me the job was really exciting. And was that necessary for the for the mocap that the height yeah I think I'm not an expert on how all of the animation behind the scenes works but I believe that having someone a little bit taller was helpful to the animators in terms of scaling the characters Mm -hmm, because she is so she's taller than everyone else and so the fact that I was also taller than everyone else (laughs) was helpful Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Do you feel that you and Lady D have a lot in common? I mean, obviously, oh, she's the antagonist. I know. I know. We love a and good I, antagonist. We love a good antagonist. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that I really admire about her. I think, I think part of what 
speaks to so many people about her, especially underrepresented communities, is that she is so unequivocally and unapologetically herself and she doesn't let anyone make her feel small or make her feel less than Mm. she fights for herself she believes that she's worthy and doesn't let anyone tell her different so i think that there's a lot to really admire and aspire to be within that do you feel that you have a lot of those same qualities oh gosh no I wish. (laughs) Some days. Someday. Maybe there's a part of me that allowed that to come out with Lady D. Yeah. (laughs) And deep, deep inside. But yes, no, we are all, I'm sure, racked by our own self-doubt and insecurities (laughs) at every minute of every day. So, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. I do in any ways that you feel that she's very different from you. Anyway, well, the violent murder is pretty different That's than good me. Good to know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Different. I mean, the murder is a pretty big yeah, one. Pretty I think big she's one. probably also way more luxurious than mm. I am. She really values nice uh, quality things and (laughs) I value those to a certain degree but also clearly I like to be comfortable and I like to be a little potato Um, so yeah so what was the experience like um going to set and and shooting amazing Mm -hmm. uh this is part of what changed my life about it is the second I got into the volume for our Mm -hmm. first day of shooting the performance capture portion of the role I had that kind of lightning bolt moment that clicked in where I was like, oh, this is really exciting and challenging in a brand new way, Mm. but also feels very familiar. And I think that this is exactly what I need to be doing. So then after that, I kind of reoriented my career and my trajectory to be like, oh, no, it's this. This is what I want to do. I'm going to plow forward over here because this feels good and some other areas of the industry maybe don't make me feel as good. So I'm going to keep doing the thing that makes me feel really great. Can you explain for our viewers who aren't familiar with The Vault what that is? Yes. So the volume is essentially a big, wide open room, or it doesn't necessarily have to be big. It's just an open room (laughs) with cameras all around that are monitoring your monitoring and intaking all of your physical data 360 degrees 360 degrees and then you'll have a camera that they use that they can position anywhere for how they want to shoot the scene itself but there's cameras all around you yeah so that's what they Mm -hmm. use to film your body mechanics then they take that and those data that data and those analytics and use it within their animations so if you quirk an eyebrow your character will raise their eyebrow in the way that you did and they're mirroring your muscle mechanics and all that jazz so fascinating cool wow the volume now you know (laughs) and so was that shocking for you then to like be on a mocap set when you'd never done anything like that Well, that was kind of the weird part that was both so weirdly different, but also familiar. There's a lot of that that felt very akin to theater and doing black box theater, where you have nothing to help you tell the story besides Mm -hmm. your self and your body and your Mm -hmm. physicality. You can't rely on hair, makeup, costumes, uh, props, set pieces to tell the story for you. You have to create it physically within your own body mm-hmm. and you have to endow these imaginary circumstances as real and you have to believe them and allow those circumstances to sit in your very bones. Otherwise, an audience will not believe them. Mm-hmm. So that element felt very familiar, this kind of make believe 
imaginative component of the work that felt like it it taps into the root of why so many of us want to become actors in the first place, which is just the sense of play Mm -hmm. and make-believe. It's very much all about that. But then you have the more technical components that are more akin to on camera or other things mm. where just you do kind of have to suit, yeah putting the dots on yes yeah and so that certainly was a lot of me being like okay that's new getting used to this mm-hmm. um what do i do how do i still tell the story authentically when i'm trapped in a weird <laughs> suit with yeah. sensors all over my body and a big <laughs> heavy helmet and a camera in front of my face that would be obstructing my view of the, the person in front of me yeah. so you have to get kind of used to blocking out this thing in front of your eyeballs Mm. did were the other actors helpful so helpful so welcoming I was proud of myself Mm -hmm. I think usually when I feel uncertain in a situation I tend to go quiet Mm -hmm. and then I I'm just trying to listen and absorb so that Mm. I can pretend like I actually know what I'm doing, (laughs) which is not always helpful. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, I was very proud of myself because I went in and I was like, cool, I've never done this before. Everyone, everyone attention. I've never done this before. What do I need to know? And Uh they, to their credit, were like, oh, my gosh, you've never done this before. That's so amazing. Here's everything you need to know. So I felt like that really helped me. I guess, get over the embarrassment of being in a vulnerable position of not knowing something and just leap into a new challenge and not be afraid to ask questions. If I needed to ask a question, there were some things where I needed to understand what the point of us doing it in this way was in order to make sure my performance was giving what they needed. So to have the freedom to ask those questions and not be afraid to look silly or stupid. (laughs) I have a big fear of looking ignorant and looking stupid so that I was proud of myself for not falling into that trap for once. Wow. That's, I mean, if you think, Ben, you didn't even have an agent at the time. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I had no one to wow. ask the questions for me. I only had me. So did you immediately start like making calls? You're like, I know somebody who wants to represent me. No, and I should have. But I. But again, I was so afraid of the NDAs where I was like, I can't tell anyone that I'm working on this. Nobody can know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> my ironically, own mother, my own mother can't know. know. Nobody knew. But yes, and that's also why having the cast members there who could be those resources for me and who I could talk to especially when lady d was going viral Mm. and we were still under nda and i couldn't talk to anyone outside of the game about what was happening or how to start to prepare for what now i was realizing would be a really big role for me they were so instrumental and so helpful in guiding me Mm. through that whole process of okay what does it mean when you book a major franchise game yeah okay now what does it mean when not only you've booked a major franchise game but your character is becoming the most prominent character of that game yeah how do you prepare for that so they were so helpful prepare for that well you know (laughs) i'm still figuring it out Mm -hmm. i it was a lot of getting used to social media that was a component that i had never really gotten on board with before were you on social before Technically, yes, Mm -hmm. but I was never really using it. And that still remains an area for me that I I do kind of butt heads against sometimes. It's a lot of work. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of work, but it is a part of the job now for better Mm -hmm. or for worse. So coming to terms with that and finding a way to do that that works for me and is 
good for my mental health and <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah, which I think, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I think you do really well. And we'll get back to that later mm-hmm. about some of your art and stay derpy, your slogans yeah. and some of that. But yeah, I, I think it's a challenge for pretty much 95% of the people I chat with yep. have their own yep. different way that it's challenging them. Yes, I had to set those boundaries. And the first weekend, opening weekend was absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. I definitely was having panic attacks the whole weekend of just like, <gasps> my notifications are blowing up. Everyone and their mother is reaching out to me. And I just had to turn all the notifications off. I had to get help so mm-hmm. that I could have a barrier. Yeah. So that I'm not the one engaging and reading all of that all the time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So now even still, when I engage in social media, I'm trying to do it through third-party platforms. So there's still a level of separation of I'm going to look at exactly what I need to do on social mm-hmm. media. And I'm not going to look at anything mm-hmm. else that is a yeah. distraction. Right, because it is so easy to go down that rabbit hole and then, whoa, 30 minutes. Yeah, or an, hour, an hour, 30 hours. <laughs> by and you're like, oh, darn. Yeah. 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 Whoa, way to leave you on a cliffhanger. Okay, we'll be back with Maggie Robertson next week. Be sure to tune in. See you then. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week.